the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dennis Prager Show, coming to you today from Minneapolis, Minnesota, every week a different city. And today it is Minnesota. It's a very funny thing because it happens so often where I will meet a conservative, and there are plenty of them everywhere, including Minnesota, and the person will say to me, you live in California? How how, how do you do that? And I look at the person and I say, wait a minute, you live in Minnesota and you're asking me how I can live in California? And that answers the question. Well, welcome to the show. The big news is that Kevin McCarthy has been deposed. And I will be talking about this at length in the third hour with Alex Marlowe, the the great editor at Breitbart and his new book on the Bidens. So, in the meantime, I I have mixed feelings on the issue. I don't. I hate having mixed feelings because I normally don't have mixed feelings. <laughs> I, I normally take a strong position and explain why I've taken it. I don't know what this will change. Kevin McCarthy, in some ways, did a good job, as explained in a Wall Street Journal editorial. Don't knock the Wall Street Journal. There is no institution, there is no publication, and there is no individual with whom you will agree all the time. Once you make peace with that, you can really have a lot of allies. The human tendency is to dismiss people when they differ just on one thing. I've seen this all of my life. The letters that I would periodically get, I admired you for 30 years, and then you said, and then whatever I said, and now I realize I was wrong, or even worse, now I realize you're a fraud. And when people dismiss the Wall Street Journal, conservatives do, because of position A or B, I, I feel the same. They're, they're so generally excellent that what more can I ask? That's what, what people have to understand. So they made a very rousing defense of McCarthy. And I'll tell you this, here, here I do believe whatever your position on McCarthy and Matt Gates and so on, there is something odd in the ability of, I don't remember the number, Alan, if you get me the number, 
That would be ideal. Uh, but I was at eight. Eight people should not be able to depose eight, eight members of, uh, of the hundreds, of what, 450, whatever it is, 540. I, I'll get that right now. Number of members of members of Congress. And the answer is 535. Okay. Eight out of 535 should not be able to uh, do it. Now, it's not eight, really, because every Democrat voted with you, which is also something people should understand with all their uh, conservative antipathy to Kevin McCarthy is this was done because the dissenters on the Republican side were able to get every every Democratic vote. That, that That's disturbing, too. Look, we, we have very real issues in this country, and overspending is, on, if not on top of the list, tied with anything that is on top of the list. I think I think cultural issues are as high as fiscal issues. Teaching children all over this country, including Oklahoma, the most conservative state probably, that's why I use Oklahoma, that they will decide whether they are a man or a woman or a boy or a girl. I consider that to be as high as the crushing debt Although I will tell you, I fear the crushing debt because if there is an economic collapse, there will be a lot of violence and a lot of evil that will ensue. Economics, unfortunately, is very, very important. And the crushing of the economy by the Greens is a very big deal. So we will talk about uh, Kevin McCarthy at length later. I don't know who can do a much different job because you have a Democratic president, a Democratic Senate, and a bare majority in the House of Representatives. The issue is to win elections. Then you won't have this problem. Well, that's not the issue. It's not the only issue. The other issue is for Republicans to act like conservatives. But that also raises its own problem, because it's very hard to get elected on a platform of, we'll give you fewer benefits. Shrink the government is is popular among middle class and upper middle class and upper class conservatives. It's not a large group. It's not a large enough group. People don't want to get less, receive fewer benefits from the, from the government. One party, if it were true to its platform, would say, vote for us, you'll get less. You'll have more freedom, but you will get less money, less benefits. Most people will trade in freedom for benefits. They just did a poll in that regard, and, and it 
showed that if you were a Democrat, you were you were less inclined to freedom if you had to trade that in for a security. That was the term that was used. They, security in every sense of the word. So here is one uh, one defense of the move. Down with the Uniparty. Deposing Speaker McCarthy was the righteous move from the dossier of uh, Jordan Schachtel. Last night, Representative Matt Gates made good on his promise to introduce a motion to vacate the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. Today, the the McCarthy is Speaker no more. Representative Gates was not supposed to do that. Part of the reason why D.C. World... D.C. world is so up in arms this evening is that they were genuinely caught way off guard by the Gates motion. They thought it was a bluff. But they shouldn't have been. Gates had been threatening to depose McCarthy for weeks, if not months, citing the empty promises and failure to act as a leader of a true opposition party. The last straw reportedly involved McCarthy making a secret deal with the Democrats to continue funding the war in Ukraine. I don't know how you make a secret deal with uh, with a public funding bill. Maybe you can. I, I don't know how that happens. And by the way, I don't agree with that. I agree. I have a middle position. Uh, we should fund Ukraine, and we should be as adamant about pursuing peace, whether Zelensky is supportive of our moves or not. We run our foreign policy, not he. On the other hand, the extreme position of letting Ukraine get crushed by Russia is not a position that I think the United States of America should take. Nor does Taiwan think it, nor Sweden, nor Finland, nor Estonia, nor Latvia, nor Lithuania, nor I, I, I presume most countries in the world that feel threatened by some larger bully. And it... it it's the Republican Party was the party that supported the war in Vietnam. You could have made every single argument against supporting the war in Vietnam that you would make against supporting Ukraine. And by the way, there are people who say that's right. They should have, and they we shouldn't have been there. But if we shouldn't have been there, why should we have been in Korea? And if you look at North Korea and South Korea, do you really think? That morally speaking, we should not have been in Korea. That the entire peninsula of Korea, all of what is called South Korea and North Korea today, should have been under the rule of the megalomaniacal, sadists, monsters of the Kim family. Well, the world is a troubled place. Gold dealers are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere. What sets these companies apart and whom can you really trust? This is Dennis Prager for AmFed Coin and Bullion. My choice for buying precious metals. When you buy precious metals, it's imperative that you buy from a trustworthy and transparent dealer that protects your best interests. So many companies use gimmicks to take advantage of inexperienced gold and silver buyers. Be cautious of brokers offering free gold and silver or brokers that want to sell you overpriced collectible coins, claiming they appreciate 
create more than gold and silver? What about hidden commissions and huge markups? Nick Grovich and his team at AmFed always have your back. I trust this man. That's why I mentioned him by name. Nick's been in this industry over 42 years, and he's proud of providing transparency and fair pricing to build trusted relationships. If you're interested in buying or selling, call Nick Grovich and his team at AmFed Coin and Bullion, 800-221-7694. AmericanFederal.com. AmericanFederal.com. I'm Dennis Prager. By the way, it's 435 members. I, I told you Congress. I didn't tell you the House when I said 535. It's 435 members of the House. So that was something I needed to clear up. And we are, uh, uh, there's something, there's an overriding issue that I need to, I need to speak to you about for a moment. I have, you know, I, I do speak about cultural issues a great deal because the culture makes everything. You can be an, you can be affluent have an affluent society, but if you lose your values, it's worthless. Say, it's a statement about how important the values issue is. I mean, if we have more and more kids raised without a father, uh, that has tremendous consequences for society. If if we have more and more kids thinking that they are the opposite sex because they have other psychological problems, it doesn't matter how affluent the society is. On the other hand, please understand, as I said to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. a week ago when he came to my home and we did a fireside chat, my weekly fireside chat for PragerU, and uh, I, he, he, unlike me, does believe in the existential threat of global warming, of climate change. I was actually surprised, since he's a big believer in science, and and he knows how much scientists lie. He's devoted his life to the lies about vaccines. But he, for whatever reason, believes that even nuclear power is dangerous. I don't, and it's, he falls into the category of someone I deeply admire, with whom I differ profoundly on an issue. That that's the way life works, and I certainly can live with it. But as I told him, what the Greens are doing to the economy of the Western world will create much, 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 much more upheaval and evil and violence than any amount of climate change. You want an existential threat to a society? Ruin its economy. Look at what happened to Germany in the 20s and 30s. Hitler was elected because of economics, not because of his Jew hatred. It didn't stop people from voting for him, but it didn't provoke most of his votes. His votes went according largely to the economy of Germany. So when I talk about these these horrors inflicted on young people regularly, And I talk about how the debt is crushing regularly, but not as regularly. Maybe I should. It is astonishing to me that young people, or old people, 
or middle-aged people, any people, can be scared out of their minds about the existential, quote-unquote, existential threat posed by climate change in some distant future, but they are not frightened by the existential threat of a collapsed economy, of a worthless dollar. Isn't that amazing? That, that is so immediate, and the other is so model-based. And there is such a solution, it's called nuclear power. There's no such, there's no quick solution like that with regard uh, to inflation and deflation. Amazing. Let's all watch the existential threat, which I've been told about now for 35 years. Existential threat. Every 12 years, we have just 12 years to go, and we seem to be doing pretty well. It's a gigantic lie that global warming had anything to do with the Hawaii fires or so many of the, or the Greek fires set by an arsonist or arsonists. I think part of the reason for the preoccupation of the left with the existential threat of, of global warming is to get your mind off the existential threat of gigantic government overspending, staggering debt. Yeah, that's an existential threat. It threatens the existence of the country as we know it, just as it did, just as it threatened Germany in the 20s and 30s. Unbelievable, the ease with which people spend and print money print money I, I I believe the average seven-year-old could understand that if you keep printing money the money is worthless I truly do believe that you you not only do you not need a college education to understand that the odds are if you have a college education you won't care about it <laughs> that is the irony of that situation. one Prager 776 Sean put me on the uh, the program there with a with a link. Oh, you did. In fact, did you? Yes. Is that right? Uh, wait. I don't Did you send me the link, folks, when I'm on the road, it's a complex operation to take your calls, but I really do want them. There we go. Okay, we'll be back in a moment. The, the existential threat is moral, and the other existential threat is fiscal. So that's, that's what prompted the deposing of Kevin McCarthy. It is a worthy preoccupation. I don't know if the deposing was will accomplish much. I hope it does. When the government used emergency edicts during COVID to restrict the gathering and worship of churches, three pastors facing the risk of imprisonment, unlimited fines, and their own churches being ripped apart took a courageous stand 
and reopened their doors in the face of a world that chose to comply. The Essential Church is a feature-length documentary that explores the struggle between the church and government throughout history. This fascinating story uncovers those who've sacrificed their lives throughout history for what they truly believe in. We discover why the church is essential and how we prove that this stand remains true from a scientific, legal, and most importantly, biblical perspective. This is not your typical movie. It'll change your life. You need to see this movie with your friends and family. The Essential Church is streaming today exclusively at SalemNow.com. That's Essential Church, streaming at SalemNow.com. Hello from Minneapolis, everybody. So, I am very worried. The people who are worried about the the spending are right. The Republicans need to message this to the country and just say it the way I did. We don't believe that global warming is an existential threat. We believe that it is a problem. We believe that the American debt, the printing of trillions of dollars of money with no backing, just to print it, to pay, to expand the government as the left does to keep its power and increase its power, that is an existential threat. That's the way they should message it. That would be a good thing. Let's see here. We have a we have Don in Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> Hello, Don. Hi, Dennis. I agree with your latter analogy, but not your previous one, which you said that you could make the same arguments for the Ukraine that we did for Afghanistan. I'm sorry, as Vietnam. But I would say the big exception is, is we're 33 trillion in debt. That existential threat, I believe, was not Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but our economic collapse. I agree with you. So where do you differ with me? Well, I agree. Were, I, I don't. I don't believe that the invasion of Ukraine is an existential threat. But you were thinking that it was uh, existential, okay for us to be spending all the money in in the Ukraine, though, right? No, only only if we pursue peace with the same vigor that we pursue spending money in Ukraine. The the, the country's economy is being broken by 90, 90% or 95% of our overspending has nothing to do with Ukraine. We were bankrupting this country before Putin invaded Ukraine. I'm sure you agree with me on that. You just think that this is this is making it worse. And you're right. It is. But but you, if you acknowledge that if if we had the same proportion of debt that we did in in the sixties and seventies, you apparently you would be okay with funding Ukraine. I probably would. Okay, well, you're an honest man. I, I you know that's a very listen. Bless you. I, I, I you know, <laughs> I have deep respect for for your argument. I just. This country is being broken by the expansion of government, by the uh, amount it is spending on social welfare programs and has since another corrupt politician named Lyndon Johnson uh, decided to spend our way out of poverty, or so he claimed it with the war on poverty in the Great Society 
A great society is a society that spends money it doesn't have. That is the definition on the left of a, of a great society. A great society is where there is no inequality. Since such a thing will never exist as long as the human being exists, every attempt at great equality has ended up with torture, massacre, and death camps. Okay? Every attempt. So I, I, I'm a little scared of that. I'm scared of communism. If you're not scared of communism, you're an ignoramus. There's no moral defense for anyone who's not scared of communism. Many years ago, literally many years ago, I would say 30 years ago at least, maybe 40, I, I wrote in my the newsletter that I p- printed before the Internet. I wrote, what the left is scared of, what the right is scared of. i got to dig up that article, see see how how germane that would be to our time but the the argument that we can't afford to fund ukraine no we can't afford to fund the department of education we can't afford trillions of dollars thrown down the drain wasted corrupt money for green projects and and for subsidies for electric vehicles that's what we can't afford we can't afford not to raise the the age when you start getting Social Security. We can't afford to throw people off their private insurance at 65 and have the government fund them with Medicare. It was a total riddle to me why this healthy man named Dennis Prager, who had perfectly, uh, 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 perfectly excellent health insurance, had to be thrown off it to gain public funds called Medicare. The the spending issue should be first front and center because Congress, the House in particular, but Congress does not have authority in general over whether or not teachers ruin children's lives by, uh, by having them sexualized at an early age, which is another sick part of the left. That we fight on a local level and, and, and on a national cultural level. But it does have control over spending. The message has to be there is an existential threat to the United States, and it isn't coming from heat. It is coming from debt and I, I, I don't. I, I like Kevin McCarthy personally, uh, to the extent that I know him. I don't know him well. I, I, we've been together, and I had a dialogue with him. And I, I, I did not get the sense that he understood the urgency of the economic tragedy. He's done. He did a lot of good. I don't. I'm, I don't dislike the man, but I understand the opposition as well, which can easily be portrayed as fanatics. I don't think a few people should be able to depose a speaker. There are many mixed issues here. But the fundamental issue of are we Republicans doing whatever we can about the debt, the existential threat posed by the debt, that's that's a... uh, That's a very important issue.
That's the issue that, that they should stand for. The New York Times is fine with it. And by the way, both parties have been fine with it. The Democrats more than the Republicans, but the Republicans as well, they have gone, they have gone along. The debt increased under a man I thought was a great president, Donald Trump. We, the first thing we have to do is be honest. Do you consider, this is, I think this is the question to be posed to every candidate for office. Do you consider the debt an existential threat to America? That's it. Yes or no? Even if they want to give a long answer, give a long answer. But that's the question they have to answer. Since we'd like to throw around the, the words existential threat, and there is a solution to the existential threat to the extent that it exists, and I don't believe it's existential, but it is a threat of global warming, there's an answer. It's called nuclear power. Nuclear power is the answer. The answer. And the hand, only a handful of so-called environmentalists, these are, these are the extremists of our age, support that. It's all rooted in, let's help China and make more electric cars, electric vehicles. That's what it is. Let's help China. Let's have more young slave labor. Let's, uh, let's get rid of more American jobs by having batteries, uh, what, what goes into making batteries mined elsewhere and under, under moral conditions that we would not accept in America. My God, the human being's ability to, to ruin everything is, is, well, it is historic. What shall we say? If people just pursue truth, used reason, or even on a, on a personal level, just follow the Ten Commandments. That's it. The world, the world could be really beautiful. Then we'd have to fight disease and earthquakes. But most misery is caused by other human beings. These are examples. So the Pope has come out with a new statement that it is, it, it is an existential threat global warming. See, and he blames the United States most of all, you know, for its profligate ways. So it's, this Pope is a leftist and it is, it, it is a tragedy that he is a leftist because it's the, the most, it's the, I don't know, I was going to say, is it the, are there more Catholics than any other faith? No, I don't think, I don't think there are more Catholics than Muslims. I'll have to look that up. They're more Christians than Muslims, but I don't know if they're more Catholics than Muslims. But it is huge. He's a man who believes that capitalism is a moral evil. That's how left-wing he is. Everyone, by the way, to my Catholic listeners, my heart goes out to you. It does. It's a very hard thing for a Catholic to believe that their Pope the vicar of Christ on earth, as he is known, uh, is morally confused. 
However, please know that all of our religions are suffering. The Anglican Church, Protestants in general, many Jews. It's There are no guarantees of moral acuity. Nothing guarantees it. But that uh, he is now he is now gone on the uh, existential threat train was a very uh, very sad development. I'll I'll read that to you upon our return. One eight Prager seven seven six. I want you to start talking about the debt as an existential threat. We'll return in a moment. Mike Lindell has a passion to help you get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop at the pillow. Mike also created the Giza Dream bed sheets. These sheets look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep, which is crucial for overall health. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's latest deal is the sale of the year for a limited time. You'll receive 50% off the Giza Dream Sheets, marking prices down as low as $29.98, depending on the size. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Podcasts Square, and use the promo code Prager. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow 2.0 mattress topper, MyPillow kitchen towel sets, and so much more. Call 800-761-6302 or go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code Prager. Hi everybody, it's the Male Female Hour, every Wednesday, second hour of my show. I'm Dennis Prager. And as I frequently note, I think it's the most honest talk about men and women in the media. Because I'm not a man fan or a woman fan, I'm a good person fan. There are good women, good men, crappy women, and crappy men. That's the way the world works. It's always been that way. I always find it odd when people romanticize either sex. I'm a big fan of truth and reality. Also, I don't shy away from any subject. And that is another reason for the openness and honesty of the male-female hour. man came over to me on Sunday at the town annual town hall meeting of my L.A. station, KRLA. And there were 800 folks there, and afterwards there was the reception for people who paid more and went to the what's called the VIP reception. There was a long line of people waiting for me to sign one of my books or uh, just sign a picture or get a selfie. And a, a man happens to be a black man who was, I would say, 35 years old. said to me, I just want you to know, Dennis, you are the reason I married and you are the reason I have a child. And I really, uh, I was really moved. That comment comes to me very frequently. Men need a uh, manly man. Uh, that is a man they look up to as a man to tell them in many ways how to lead a good life. And I tell men to get married and I tell men 
to have children. And I have gotten that response often. And now to the subject. This subject is will be revelatory to many women. Might even be revelatory in some in a different way to many men. Yeah, I think it would be. It is about women's looks, the most sensitive subject on earth. Nobody likes to talk about it because it's so sensitive an issue. The aspect I want to address is that I think that most women, or many women, I don't don't know, most, vast numbers of women do not see themselves physically, I'm talking about, in terms of looks, the way men see them. And it's one of the reasons that so many attractive women don't think they're attractive, which is extremely common among women. Attractive women who don't think they're attractive. And I have some theories as to why that is. And the biggest theory is this. Women, many women, most women probably, compare themselves to some, oh, Hollywood star or model or some some idealized image of a woman and in that comparison in their mind they fail. Men don't do that, or again, most men. I, I can't speak for every man or every woman on any subject. So I, if we don't generalize, we don't learn from life. These are generalizations, meaning most of the time it's true. Most men are not comparing their wife, their girlfriend, to another woman, physically speaking. That's not the way the male brain works. Men are attracted to vast numbers of women, that is correct, but they are not spending their time when they're with their woman, presuming that there is some, uh, obviously, level of attraction here, but they're not comparing her to others. You should see my video. I've done about 60 videos for PragerU, for Prager University. There were about 600, so I've only done one out of 10. Nine out of 10 videos are done by other people, as it should be. But I've done one out of 10, and I am proud of all 60. Done on the Ten Commandments and and many other issues. The, the, The worthlessness of the conscience for most people. I mean, heavy duty, interesting, important stuff. But the one I'm most proud of, of all my 60, is the one titled, He Wants You. 
He wants you. I was present. It was a fascinating experience for me. It's only life could provide such an opportunity. It 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 sounds, you know, so so odd that it happened, and yet it did. I think it was here in Minnesota. I'm in Minnesota right now. I think it was here in Minneapolis or St. Paul, and I wanted to have a cigar after my evening speech, but all the lounges, all the cigar lounges had closed. But somebody gave me the name of a private lounge that would be open, It's that is open all night and maybe 24-7, but you have to be a member and presumably need a key to get in. But I figured I'll give it a try. I went to this address, I knocked on the door, they opened it up, I explained my situation. I'm from California, you know, so obviously I'm not a member here. Could I come in and smoke a cigar, happily pay whatever you you charge me? Anyway, they were very sweet. It was a man and a woman. And they didn't know who I was. So they asked me who I was, why I was there, if I gave a speech, what do I speak on? And I explained to them about my radio show and Prager University. And I said, you know what? Better than my telling you about Prager U, as we call it, why don't you watch a video? I said, fine. They're only five minutes, I said. So here, just put one on the screen here. So the woman, I would say she was about 30. And she, I told her, put on the video, he wants you. The subject of the video is that I had read in the Daily Mail, this is years ago, that when couples go on beach vacations, they are more likely to experience tension than if they go on a vacation elsewhere. Why? Because the man sees all these women in bikinis and she knows he's looking at them, even if he's not a starer. And she is troubled by that, thinking that all he's doing is comparing me to them and I just don't match a lot of these young bodies out there. Okay. So I decided to make a video, He Wants You. And I pointed out, among other things, and it's and I did it, and the illustrations are hilarious, that the guy doesn't remember any of the women he saw on the beach. She does. So she thinks he does. Why this applies to my subject, I will explain. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. 
Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. She was afraid to come out of the locker. She was as nervous as she could be. She was afraid to come out of the locker. She was afraid that somebody would say, Two, three, four, tell the people what she wore. It was an itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, yellow polka dot bikini that she wore for the first time like today. That. An itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, yellow polka dot bikini. So My friends, Dennis Prager here, male, female hour. So here's the, uh, here is the, the theme of today's hour. Women don't see themselves physically the way men see them. They are, in other words, they are harsher on themselves than men are. It's a generalization. It's not true for every woman. It's not true for every man. Uh, there's, there's also, I mean, to be honest, obviously we have to be honest, there are times when the attraction has dissipated or been reduced for whatever reasons, and that's a painful, painful subject. But generally speaking, vast numbers of attractive women don't think they are attractive. And the reason, they do not see themselves the way men see them. Or I'll put it to you as bluntly as I can, men see them as sexier than they do. And that's it. That's, that's something women need to understand. All the efforts that women make to continue to be attractive are tremendously admirable and not unimportant. As a man wants to be as reliable a man in his way as he can be and not, and not retire from that fact. One eight Prager seven seven six eight seven seven two four three triple seven six. Women and men are very open with me because I am so open publicly. I mean, if I'm open on the radio, they could certainly be open privately. And I, I've talked to many women. They look in the mirror and all they see are flaws. But when a man looks at them, that's not what they see. They don't see the flaws. The purported flaws, not even sure that in many cases they actually exist. They may exist in her mind. Listen, if men didn't find vast numbers of women attractive, the human race would have died out a long time ago. So that, that's that's important. One eight Prager seven seven six eight seven seven two four three triple seven six. If you want to ask me, if you want to 
disagree, you want to agree, you're a man or a woman, this is a very important subject. Rarely addressed, people are too frightened of touching the subject. It's sort of like a third rail women's looks. It's a third rail. And it's important in the human race, unlike peacocks, let's say, the female attracts the male, the male gets aroused, and they reproduce. That is the that is the way it works. I feel stupid. No, not stupid. I feel silly saying this to an intelligent audience, but uh, the birds and the bees and many other truths of life are never taught. Sex education doesn't teach you anything important. It teaches you the mechanics, and in that way is not is not helpful at all. Men see you. The odds are the man in your life sees you as more attractive than you see you. The odds are. There are cases where that is not the case. That is true. It's a, it's a painful fact of life, but I'm not talking about the painful facts. I'm talking about the facts. Many young women don't know this either. They they think when they when they look at another woman, I, I mean, I, it's so fascinating for me to talk to these women who will tell me about all these attractive women, my including my wife, who will mention woman A or woman B is very attractive and. I'll think, yeah, they, she is attractive, but to be, to be honest, I find you more so. And not and not just because I love her. This is true for women who open up to me whom I'm not in love with. I'm in love with one woman, <laughs> as it happens. I love any number of women and men, thank God. I'm, I'm, in, I'm rich in good people in my life, but that's a separate issue. Oh, my, uh, you know, look, look at my knees. I always like that one. I'm not saying my wife says that. I'm just saying it's just an example. Like the man is thinking, yeah, I'll tell you, her, my, uh, my wife or my girlfriend's knees, that's an issue not the way male sexuality works. Thank God, I might add. Eight seven seven two four three triple seven six. All right, let me pick up my laptop here. What's the timing, Sean? All right, I'm going to start taking calls when we return. Yeah. God, that's right. That is correct. Let's see. Well, this is good. The calls are going to be very interesting. This is really important, women. I don't even know, even if you, I, I know women pretty well, and I know men pretty well. Even if you agree, I'm not even sure you can change your outlook, but I want you to. We go out to party somewhere The moment we walk in the door And people stop and everybody 
she don't know what the step involved And she don't know she's beautiful she don't know she's Oh, is that perfect or is that perfect? Yes, yeah, it's a good thing I know my popular music, especially my country music. There you go. Hey, everybody, Dennis Prager, male, female hour. Okay, everybody, let's go to uh, your calls if I can finally get this open here. Yeah, we there we go. Hi, right, male, female hour. A lot of women don't know how attractive they are, vast numbers of them, in fact because they don't see themselves the way men see them. They see themselves the way they see them, with a massive concentration on perceived, alleged, or even real flaws. If you, if you, women should actually, I guess very often, I think they could, learn a lot if they saw some of the 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 women who pose in bikinis just on on websites and how quote unquote flawed they would be uh, in in the average woman's eyes but men don't don't see that they they see the female body and very often that's a sufficient turn-on. And that's what uh, women don't understand because they don't, they don't have a male brain. And by the way, I'm not sure they can ever understand what I'm saying because they, they can't have a male brain, even if they become trans. You can't get the brain of the other sex. But... And here is the ongoing puzzle of my life. Can people be governed by reason over feeling? And the answer is most people cannot. Having nothing to do with the male-female issue, just in general. So at least if you can intellectually understand, I see these flaws and he is not concentrating on them. He sees the larger picture and can be turned on and is turned on. Anyway, a woman who acts sexy uh, is very sexy. And that, too, a lot of women don't know. Some women instinctively know it. And they, they don't have perfect bodies, perfect faces, whatever that means. So this is a very important thing for women to know. It doesn't mean you don't try to look as attractive as possible. It's a beautiful thing to do for your husband. Just as he has ways to continue to show his love for you. But that, uh, that's a separate issue. All right, let's see your calls and see what you have to do. Okay. Yeah, Bob, right here in Egan, Minnesota. Hello. Hello, Dennis. Uh, First-time caller. I've been a listener since 2005, and uh, I just want to say 
thank you so much for what you've done. I have passed on Prager U uh, to, uh, I have five children. I have three stepchildren and two biological. And my last child just left the house in April, so it's only been me and my wife. I've been married for the third time, and so has she, since 2011. And she is 54, I'm 61, and my wife is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, She used to be a firefighter for the Egan Department, and then she got out of that in 2016. But she has let her hair go gray. She gets so many compliments when we go out to restaurants, when we go to Viking games, whatever. She's absolutely beautiful. But here's the deal. She went through menopause, and she gained a little bit of weight. And then she just thought I stopped loving her. And I told her, I said, beauty is not existential. It's, in, it's on the inside. I says, I love you for the mother that you have been, for the courage that you have had. I says, I have loved you for your smile. I said, and life happens. You're going to gain weight. Well, now she, uh, the doctor ordered her to get a breast reduction, and she got a breast reduction she started losing weight because at that time I found out I had high cholesterol and I had to go on a strict. All right, I got the point, and I, it sounds like a happy ending. God bless you, sir. All right, everybody, Dennis Prager here with one of my favorite Americans. And I. I I never say those things lightly. He is a uh, a gift to this country. How's that? I don't want to overdo it because I'll, I don't know. I don't know how he'll react if I keep praising him. But Alex Marlowe of Breitbart is, is a real asset to this country. I don't know. I don't know how these people are invented. And I, I'm serious, I, I, I've i tried to explore this issue my whole life. What makes fighters and courageous and insightful people, can they be made or are they born? I still don't have an answer. I think both are true. Anyways, editor-in-chief of Breitbart News Network, which is an awesome site you should visit regularly. His book came out yesterday, so I'm really honored to have him on today. Breaking Biden. Exposing the hidden forces and secret money machine behind Joe Biden, his family, and his administration. I already bought it in audio. I'm buying it in Kindle. I will now be one of the only Americans, other than him, Alex himself, to have the audible the Kindle, and the hardcover. (laughs) All right, if if that is, and by the way, I bought with my own money the Audible and the Kindle. I just want you folks to know that. By the way, what is interesting, Alex, I I always check on publishers. So isn't your publisher, or or is your publisher an arm of Simon & Schuster? Yes, and uh, Dennis, the, the, let me just say that, that intro means so much to me, and I'm not great at receiving compliments, uh, but I, I wanted to return the favor, uh, wondering how people are, are made, people like me who are fighters and happy warriors. 
uh, you had a lot to do with it. Uh, my dad was a listener to you starting on Religion on the Line. Um, I was probably one of the first and maybe the longest PragerTopia subscriber 20 years ago or almost 20, 18 years ago. I was on the UC Berkeley campus and I would listen to every minute of your show. There were years that would go by where I don't think I'd missed a minute. So you're a big part of it. And uh, I owe you a lot. And just for you to say that about me is means everything. Wow. Well, I am now really happy I complimented you as much as I did. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you're complimenting <laughs> yourself. In I, the got process. It I got probably, it back. I got it back. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and my 60 bucks a year is definitely could help buy your, your Kindle edition. Uh, but I will tell you, I don't even have the Kindle version yet. I've got the audio book downloaded and I did decide to buy one of my own books, even though I've got a stack of them uh, in my office. But I thought that would be fun. But I well, don't have the Kindle will, yet. You, I hope uh, it's good. You will, you, you will want the Kindle because uh, as I have a Kindle of all my books, it, it, I often will take parts of them for speeches. So I'll have those notes or for an article. Mm. So you'll, you'll want your own your own Kindle. Anyway, before, because uh, we'll have time, I, I want to give you a lot of time. You're endlessly insightful. So before that, uh, any any thoughts, and I have no idea what you'll say, I'm just deeply interested in the Kevin McCarthy being, in, in his being deposed. Yeah, uh, th- this one is tough because I- I'm going to tell you what I actually think, even if it hurts maybe some people's opinion of me and then uh, makes them not want to buy the book that I'm I'm here to talk to you about. Um, But I I don't like any of it. I I think it's all sort of grandstanding adjacent. I I understand some of the points that some of the people who wanted Kevin McCarthy deposed, what their issues are. I, of course, get a general frustration with congressional Republicans who have been uh, rarely missed an opportunity to miss opportunities. Uh, over my lifetime following politics. Uh, but I do think Kevin McCarthy has done a really a, a decent job at an impossible job, a job that secretly, Dennis, and I was in D.C. for maybe eight or nine years of my life. I just recently left. Uh, no one wants that job. It's a thankless job. It's a painful job. You're negotiating with some of the most difficult, egomaniacal people on the planet. And I think Kevin was doing a pretty good job. And now we have a scenario where you've got eight Republicans joining literally every single Democrat, every single Democrat. And we're told that, no, trust the process. This is going to be great for conservatives. Something that all the Democrats want and only eight Republicans want. That seems incredibly far-fetched to me. Uh, And then if you add that Matt Gaetz, who's the ringleader, who I I have a lot of nice things to say about Matt Gaetz, a lot of really nice things. I think he's got great energy, great charisma. But he's a personal beef with Kevin McCarthy. McCarthy has allowed an ethics investigation into Gates to continue. There's no doubt that this is part of this. And in the meantime, I'm trying to get the word out about how bad Joe Biden is, who I think is the biggest threat to the country at the moment by a mile. And now we're focused on whether McCarthy, who's good on some stuff, but maybe not perfect on others, whether he's the real problem. So I I don't like any of it, to answer your question. Well, at the risk, at the same risk you have, I agree with everything you said. Uh, the the only not, it's not even the only area I disagree. It's not. I don't disagree at all. Uh, but my my concern is with the Republican Party not answering the existential threat argument about global warming with the existential threat about our national debt. 
I don't think that they feel that. Hmm. Uh, they don't. And I, but I'll tell you, Dennis, that is someone who is not particularly old guy, but I've followed this stuff since, you know, I became obsessed with politics when in my halfway through high school, um, the Republicans have always been terrible on the national debt. Uh, it's just the Democrats mm-hmm. have been unspeakably mm-hmm. terrible at a whole nother level. That's right. So, but to act like this there week, we we've decided this week, when finally we're seeing some progress on getting to the bottom of the Biden's corrupt finances, Joe's under uh, uh, on the ropes in the polls and in investigations. Hunter's finally getting hauled in before court. Now, all of a sudden, now we're going to decide now the debt's too much and we can't handle it. I, I wish it was genuine. It just doesn't feel like that to me. Fair enough. You, you, you have a, an important read on, on politics. So what, what animated you to write your book? Um, I think, I guess that's the, the essential question. And the essential, the, the reason why I took on this process, which was over a year of research, um, I assembled a team of five researchers, all of whom had worked on number one bestsellers for Peter Schweitzer, who is, I think, the preeminent investigator in conservative media, really all of media, to be honest. Uh, And the reason why I wanted to do it is because I had a a hypothesis that people had gotten Joe Biden all wrong, that people had underestimated him as some sort of a buffoon who was a puppet, who was just going to hang out in his basement and didn't have any meaningful skills or really any explanation for how he's achieved uh, such heights in terms of politics and power. And I was pretty determined to investigate whether or not that was the truth because I had a suspicion it wasn't. And I found in virtually every area that I investigated, uh, not only is Joe the guy at the top, and he is the one who's truly in charge, but he's always done this crazy stuff. He said crazy things since he was in since the 1970s, and I cite many of them in the book. So if you think he's deteriorating mentally, maybe he is, but he's always been this kind of uh, had these buffoonish moments. But in the meantime, he's been accumulating unfathomable levels of power. And he's been using them almost exclusively for ill for this country. Almost every decision where he has gone big, he has gotten it wrong, foreign and domestic. And there's a chapter on each of the key ones. And so pursuing that premise that Joe Biden is not just some nincompoop puppet, but he is actually the guy who is in charge of the whole system and designed it himself. That was the thesis. And I think I back it up. The book is Breaking Biden. That's the title, Exposing the Hidden Forces and Secret Money Machine Behind Joe Biden, His Family, and His Administration. Uh, I can't give a better recommendation than the fact that I have already purchased the Audible and the Kindle. I would have purchased the hardcover too, but I got that, I got that one free <laughs> from the publisher. It's a, it's a truly the significant perks of the job. book. Yeah, that's right. Well, there are there are a lot of perks to this job. I I, I never <laughs> lose sight of that. Uh, put you on the spot with this with a question. I don't think any interviewer of you will pose, and I'll have you answer it when we return because we just have a few seconds before the break. I have to come to the conclusion that he is a bad human being, and I've never said that of any a president in my lifetime, and I'm broadcasting for forty years. I'd like to to get your assessment uh, of that. And another question. Since all he does is harm the country, does he want to harm the country? 
I don't even have an answer to that. We'll be back in a moment. The book, Breaking Biden, up at DennisPrager.com. One of my regrets in life is that my parents are not alive to know that I am a promo code for dog food. The, The heights that I have reached. I'm just ribbing myself. I actually am proud of all these sponsors, as you probably know. I am with uh, one of the most important uh, people in the country, in my opinion, in fighting for the country, Alex Marlowe, senior editor, editor-in-chief of Breitbart. The book came out yesterday. You should buy six copies. <laughs> I'm really not kidding. I'm laughing, but because it's not realistic in most cases, but it's not a bad idea. Breaking Biden, exposing the hidden forces and secret money machine behind the Joe, behind Joe Biden, his family, and his administration. Uh, so I ended uh, with two questions uh, uh, for you, Alex. I think he's a bad human being, and as I said, I've never said this. I didn't say it about Jimmy Carter. I didn't say it uh, about Bill Clinton. I didn't say it about Barack Obama, the Democrats who were president in my, during my career. Uh, I say it about very few people. That is my assessment. And the other is, uh, do you think he wants to hurt the country, or does he believe that everything he is doing is good for the country? Two different questions. Uh, Dennis, are we blowing through something, though? Is there breaking news? Are you updating your answer to would you save your dog or a stranger who is drowning at the same time in proximity if you could only save one? (laughs) Uh, uh, that's because very if, if you're calling your dogs your uh, kids now, if you're calling your dogs your kids, like because I, I uh, you, no, no, you no, no. I, I, you know what? Question. You know what? I I knew when I said it. Alex is cracking up, and it bugged me. It did bug me that I came out with that. <laughs> okay. The, 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 I the do not regard know, my dogs as my kids. <laughs> You're the last yes, person who regards enough. your dogs as kids. The last person, which is why that's I was saying correct. That is right. Um, okay, that is exactly. So, right. but back to your very, very, very serious questions. Um, the I don't think this answer will shock you, but like you, uh, I'm wired not to think my political opponents are bad people. Um, but everything in terms of the evidence that I was able to go through while researching the book does point to Joe Biden being a bad person. I can say that unequivocally, and I'll cite. A couple examples, uh, two that are, I'm sure, somewhat familiar to your audience, uh, but one that they probably don't know, which is the most mind-blowing. The ones that they do know probably are that uh, during the Afghanistan pullout, when the Biden administration was responsible for droning a car filled with children and showed almost no remorse, there's almost no remorse, almost nothing done publicly. Literally, we accidentally droned a bunch of kids dead. And we acted like it was no big deal collectively. And Joe Biden, of course, did nothing to acknowledge that. Uh, The next one is the treatment of his granddaughter, Navy Joan, who the family ignored for four or five years until it was politically impossible for them to ignore it. This is a legitimate biological flesh and blood grandchild of Hunter Biden. I'm sorry, of of Joe Biden, Hunter's child. And Joe was aware of this child uh, and continued to brag about what a great grandfather he was to his other six grandkids and completely ignored this one child 
who was desperate for some attention from him, who's getting bullied, his family was getting bullied. Uh, her life was terrible. And it was all because of Hunter. And uh, Joe did nothing to help. And Jill did nothing to help. So those are the ones you guys probably know. But the one that was the most shocking that I came across in the book, uh, all you have to read it to believe it. Um, Joe famously, and this is one of the most tragic and humanizing moments uh, of, of his life, lost his first wife and daughter in a horrific car, car crash between when he won his first Senate race and when he was sworn in. It's devastating. The entire country wept for Joe. So decades later, in 1999, uh, Frank Biden, one of Joe's brothers, uh, was driving around with a uh, another friend in California. Uh, Frank had had his license suspended. So Frank, according to the story, and there were witnesses, was operating the stick shift of a vehicle while this other guy, Jason uh, Turton was his name, drove the car. Um, they were going double the speed limit, and they ran over a pedestrian, and they killed the person. Uh, and Frank uh, was ostensibly operating part of the vehicle, uh, the, uh, part of the vehicle that was speeding and ran over someone. And Frank, according to witnesses, told Turton to keep driving. Turton ended up pleading guilty to felony hit and run, and Frank got a, a wrongful death lawsuit in August of 2000. But he refused to even show up in court, wouldn't pay anything. He owed the surviving children of the guy he killed $275,000. Now, Frank wouldn't pay it. And finally, he was he was on the lam. They're trying to track him down. They couldn't track him down. They looked for him at Joe's house. They couldn't find him. Finally, in 2008, when Joe was about to become vice president, the family found Joe. They were able to track down Joe, and Joe completely blew them off, essentially sent them a form letter and said, we have nothing to do with this. Frank's not going to pay anything. There is nothing that the, the, the senator who's about to become vice president can't help help anything totally impersonal. He had an opportunity to show empathy for a family that had suffered the exact horrific, unthinkable faith that he had suffered. And instead, he sent them a form letter and blew them off completely. That to me is the single anecdote that proves all you need to know about Joe Biden's character. Anything he does to show character publicly is a, is a facade. That is who he is. So I did not know that one. So let me add one and tell me if I if I have it correctly that he lied and if I'm wrong please tell me so I never say it or never say it again that he lied about the circumstances in which his first wife and child were killed when he said that the man who did it was a drunk driver Absolutely. And this is detailed in the book. He did this over and over again, where he would repeatedly claim that this driver uh, had drank his lunch instead of eating it and that he was a drunk and he got run over by it. No, it was actually Joe's wife had ran through a stop sign and uh, or, or, or something or she, she was operating unsafely, which is she didn't deserve to die, obviously. But it was, it was she was a big part of it. And the guy was not drunk. And Joe uh, instead smeared this man. And eventually, I think decades later, there's an investigation and he was kind of cleared of all this stuff. And, and then Joe, I think, allegedly apologized decades and decades later. But he was willing to smear this guy for years to amplify his political narrative. It was a political mm -hmm. yeah, narrative we'll that Joe was that amplifying. In a moment. The book is Breaking Biden. It is must reading. Alex Breitbart, we continue. Tell Alex Marlowe why I said Alex Breitbart at the end. 
I had to get off within four seconds. And I conflated Alex being the senior editor at Breitbart with with the, with his name. So I actually have, there is a reason for that. There are hard breaks in radio that are the gods of radio. Breaking Biden is Alex Marlowe's book. It is really important. We, uh, I did not know how Alex would react to my theory that he's a bad human being as president. I, I have never said that about a president, and I was no fan of any of the Democrats that were president in my career, but I never said that. So I have question number two, Alex. He is doing so much to wreck this country, from open border to shattering the economy. Does he believe he is doing good? I, I, I mean, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, today's another day to do evil. I, I know that. Nevertheless, the, how, how does he sleep well with the, with the border and the, and the debt? I, I, how do you answer that? This is really an interesting question, Dennis. And first of all, I totally got the Alex Breitbart thing. I normally get Andrew Marlowe. That's normally in honor of Andrew Breitbart. People call me Andrew Marlowe. Oh, that's so funny. I, I that's... totally understand. <laughs> yeah, I get that all the time. All the time. Uh, which I take as a compliment. I mean, if you're going to mess up my name and com- complete it with Andrew, then yeah, I, can, yeah. I can live with it. Uh, um, but uh, the the this is a complex question because I feel like my best answer for this is that doing good for America is not high on his priority list. I think his priority list is as follows personal and family aggrandizement via power and money. I think that's number one. I don't think he's got an agenda other than that. He wants to achieve power and he wants to make money for his family. One thing about him that I think is one of his underrated skills that I think we all kind of get subconsciously, but haven't fully processed his elevation of his family is was part of his secret sauce. It's been like this since before he was a household name, since before he was even a senator. His family network was what mattered most to him. And it was his hope to one day have a family dynasty like the Kennedys. That was his ultimate goal, was to try to build a family like that. Obviously, if you meet all the Bidens and you do in the book, that was never going to happen. But his first priority is not country. It's definitely family. That's number one. Uh, but then if you look at what are what else are above the country for him, erasing Donald Trump is huge. Think about the border as a perfect example. Right away, what he did at the border was erase all of those good things that Trump had done in his final year as president. Now, I think Trump was a little uh, – could, could have gotten focused on the border earlier in his administration. But the last year with the Northern Triangle Agreements, remain in Mexico, using Title 42, uh, all of these things that Trump had put in place along with starting to build the wall were all making a really big difference in the positive for this country. And Joe, on day one, turned them all off for no other reason other than despite Trump and Trump's movement. Same thing goes with uh, suspending oil leases, uh, with stopping drilling in places where we've been drilling. Things like that are all designed to hurt Americans and America, but they satisfy the key constituency in Joe Biden's life, other than family, which is the institutional left. So long as the left is happy, Joe is in business. Joe knows that. And he prioritizes that group of people over the country as a collective.
So family and power. Is that is that a fair Fam- synopsis? Yes, and the power is achieved via the institutional left, by the base Democrat correct, voters. Correct. So yes. I'm not saying he he, yes. he hates the country or is ultimately trying to spy. Right. It, he doesn't but care. I'm no, it's not. I, I, I would say he care. yes. Doesn't he? That's that's key. That's right. He is not there to hurt the country. He doesn't care about the country. He cares about his power and his family. That I, right. I, it's a, a superb read. It makes I I buy it completely. The book is breaking Biden, Alex Marlowe, and we continue. This is unfortunately a very important book. Continue in a moment. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial free. Every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.